We're turning your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 29. We're continuing, of course, our study of the book of 1 Samuel. We started a long time ago. We're going, of course, verse by verse, passage by passage through 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel gives a history of Israel, but it's really seen through the eyes of the first two kings. One is King Saul, the other is David. David will not become the king till 2 Samuel, and we'll study that. But what's been happening as we've been studying this is going back and forth between the lives of Saul and the life of, of David. And what we did, when you think about it, we think of Saul as the first king. He was rejected by God. Now, not, we're not talking about salvation there, but rejected as king. He, uh, he was a believer, but he became king, and then he disobeyed God. And so God rejected him, and God actually anointed David. When David was about 15 years old, he anointed David to be the second king. David is a man known as a man after God's own heart. David will not become the king till he's about age 30. And we're about getting close to that now as we get close to the end of the, of the book of 1 Samuel. We've seen Saul as the king. King, David is the second king, and we're seeing uh, what kind of people they are. And, and of course, David is a man after God's own heart, and Saul is not. But we've been going back and forth, and just recently we have seen David, and you might say it this way David doesn't seem to be himself. Something's not right. We see David's probably out of fellowship with God. David actually said, I think I'm going to get killed, so I'm going to go live with the Philistines. And so it's been really a terrible time for the last. 16 months that he was there for a year and four months living with the Philistines. So can you picture David, the, the next king of Israel, but he's living with the Philistines. And we're studying this morning, we're seeing that the Philistines are about ready to go to war. They've got the five kings of the Philistines that are all fixing to come together and fight the, the Israelites. And they've actually asked David to come fight with them. And we looked last week, whatever David said, it seems so strange. We don't know what he's going to do. So we're going to see that as we continue this morning. So as we think about it, we're going to see several things. That God intervenes. He works all things. We're going to see the sovereignty of God in the life of David. We'll see that. Then we'll see David's confusion. He has sin in his life, obviously. Some things are wrong. What happens in our lives when we get confused and get sin in our lives? And then the third thing, we see it's fantastic. David turns to God in the midst of his trials and problems. And so the question that we raise for ourselves is where do we go when things fall apart? And so we're going to learn and see some great things this morning in the passage. Well, Sometimes in life, things do fall apart. We, we work on something, we plan something, and it just it doesn't work. We, we apply for a job, but we don't get it. We, we wanted the scholarship, and it either ends or we didn't get it. There's sickness, there's conflict, there's divorce, there's sorrow, all kind of things. When things go wrong in your life, where do you turn? Some people turn to alcohol and drugs. In fact, I've got a friend that, that when things went wrong, that person got involved with um, drinking and drugs and, and, and is now getting some help, but sometimes people turn to that. Sometimes people turn to their friends or they turn to some other things. Well, this morning, what we're supposed to do is turn to our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And this morning, we're going to see in the life of David, in a time of despair and conflict, he turns to God. And so it looks like our old David again. We've been following this. And if you've been, been here over the period of time, you were going through the Bible, of course, verse by verse, passage by passage. And we've been seeing David's life. And he is a man after God's own heart. He is a man that killed Goliath. He's a warrior. He has been, uh, he's a hero to the people. But something has happened. Saul's been trying to kill him, and God has protected him the whole way. But just recently, you might say, in this last year, as we go through this, uh, when I say last year, last year in the Bible, not in our time period, of course, but all of a sudden he's turned away, and he's gotten afraid, and he's gone to live with the Philistines. Now, that's, that's pretty bad when you, when you really think about it. And so we're going to see what happens. Uh, you know, what does he do in the time of conflict and despair? What does he do? Uh, there's a teaching, in fact, what about, what about us? What do we do when the trials come? 
when the problems come, when things happen that we don't really have answers for and we don't know what to do. Uh, there's some teaching in some Christian groups that say if you're really a Christian, if you're on fire for Christ, you won't have these kind of problems. Well, that's not teaching from the Bible. In fact, the Bible teaches the opposite. It says in this world you will have trouble and tribulations, but he has overcome the world. In James chapter 1, he says, Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, for the testing of your faith works patience. It causes you to trust him. I pray that we'll follow the example of David this morning, that when the trials come in our lives, we'll turn to God as well. Well, let me remind you what's going on. The last time we saw Saul, Saul is older now, and Saul knows that the Philistines are coming. Five camps of Philistines are all coming together to attack. He doesn't know what to do, so he, he prays, but he didn't get no answer, and he can't find anything, and so he's out of fellowship himself. And so what does he do? He goes to a witch a witch at Endor, and he hopes this witch can give him information. He's out of fellowship. He hopes this witch can give him information. He goes there and asks her if she'll bring back from the dead Samuel. And, of course, she, she knows she can't do that, but she says she will, and all of a sudden Samuel does come back from the dead. God raises Samuel from the dead. The witch is all scared. She's never seen anything like it. And Samuel tells Saul some information, and it's an amazing information. They told him, Samuel told Saul that David would be the king, that Israel will lose to the Philistines in the battle, and that Saul and his sons would be killed. Now, what's amazing about it is Samuel is a prophet of God, and everything that Samuel ever said always came true. So you can write this down and guarantee it. Saul knows David's going to be the king. They're going to lose to the Philistines, and Saul and his sons are going to be killed. Well, from there, now the author switches back to David. And David has left Israel. He's gone to live with the Philistines. If you're Jewish, you could say, what happened to David? David is our hero. David killed Goliath. David has killed his 10,000s. David's the greatest. And all of a sudden, people say, where's David? Well, David and his 600 men are living at Ziklag, a city called Ziklag, which belongs to the Philistines. And for the last 16 months, he's lived with Philistines. If you're Jewish, you may go, what is going on there? David doesn't need to live with the Philistines. What is happening? Because we don't like Philistines. Well, he's been down there, and he's been with uh, a king by the king name of Achish, king of Gath. It's one of the great five, one of the five cities of the Philistines, and uh, David's living there. And let me put it this way: I think it's a low time, not only in the history of the of Israel, but it's a low time in David's life. Uh, because l- listen, as far as Israel is concerned, there's no leadership. Samuel, the great prophet, is dead. Saul is not a leader, and David, who is a leader, is not even there anymore. He's living with the Philistines. So it's really a sad time, and David has his eyes on his circumstances and not on God. And we've talked about this. Whenever you go through life, if you put your focus on your circumstances, you're going to fail. You have to keep your circumstance, uh, keep your focus on, on, your, on our Savior, and that's what we have to do. Well, they're getting ready to go fight, and we saw this, that Achish thinks David is on his side. For the time that David has lived with Achish and the Philistines, David has lied over and over. He's killed people that aren't Jewish. He comes back and tells Achish he's killed Jews. So this Philistine king thinks David's on his side, and he thinks since David's been killing Jewish people, he'll never go back with the Jews. So he thinks David's going to fight with him. And we saw several weeks ago that he actually uh, went to David and said, come fight. And David said something strange. I want you to look at chapter 28, which we're going to be in 29 this morning. But in chapter 28, look in in verses 1 and 2, we see that Achish requests David to go with him. And David gives this vague answer. Look at chapter 28, verse 1. 
It came about in those days that the Philistines gathered their armed camps for war to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, no, surely you'll go out with me in the camp, you and your men. He's saying, you'll go fight with me. David said to Achish, very well, you shall know what your servant can do. So Achish said to David, very well, I'll make you my bodyguard for life. Now, what David said is weird. He didn't say yes or no. He said, you'll know what your servant can do. What does that mean? Does that mean David is saying, you'll know what I can do when we get in the fight, I'll really fight hard. Or is he saying, you'll know what I can do when we get out there, I'll turn against you and fight for my own people. We don't, we don't know what David means. In fact, if David might, might not even know what he means. It's a vague answer. So let me give you sort of the outline for our passage this morning when we start at chapter 29. Uh, the Philistines refuse David. They won't let him go fight. David gets in trouble at Ziklag. We'll talk about that. And then we'll see this Egyptian. We'll meet him. So look at chapter 29. Look at verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered together all their armies to Aphek, which was uh, where while the Israelites were camping by the spring, which is in Jezreel. Now this is in the northern part of Israel. There's a big long valley called the Jezreel Valley, and that's a big open space, and this is where the fight's going to be. Philistines are coming to a place called Aphek, and the Jewish people are in near Jezreel. Let me remind you who the Philistines are. We've always heard of them. We always know that they're the enemy of Israel. They're actually called the Sea People. Some think they came from Crete. Some people think they came from Grecian area. They came across, came to what we'd call, what we'd call the land of Israel. They settled on the, the western side of it by the, by the uh, Mediterranean Sea. And they have five major cities. And there's a lot of them. And they became enemies of the Jewish people because they wanted to get the land. And the Jews fight them off and go, it goes back and forth. You remember Goliath. Goliath was a Philistine and David killed him with the, with the sling. And, and so these are these people, and uh, they're called the sea people, and now they're ready to go fight. And so it says the Philistines are getting ready to, to, to go fight, and David gives this vague answer. And so in verse 2 it says, And all the lords of the Philistines were proceeding by the hundreds and by the thousands, and David and his men were proceeding on in the rear with Achish. Now, if you haven't been here before, David has 600 men with him. He's been running from Saul. Men have been gathering with him. He has 600 brave men. They're also known later as his mighty men. And so he's, a, he's got a great army with him. David does. These 600 men have been with David down in Ziklag with the Philistines. And so they're, they're mighty warriors. They're, they're, they're bringing up the rear. Okay, Achish is obviously at the very end, and so they're ready to do that. And so David is going to go to battle, and he's, it looks like he's going to battle. Well, let me remind you about the Philistines for just a second. This is back earlier, but I just wanted to show you that they were the golden tumors of the Philistines, and then he names the names of the cities, Ashdod, Gaza, Ashkelon, Gath, Ekron. You've all heard of Gaza. That's still there. Those are one of the five cities. Those are the five cities of the Philistines, and they've gathered together. Now, here's the question. Is David really going to fight? Is he going to fight against his own people? Do you think maybe that David's going and he's thinking once the fight begins, I'll, I'll turn on our side and I'll fight against the Philistines? Or do you think David is so mixed up that he thinks he might fight with the Philistines? Who knows what's going to happen? Well, look at verse 3. Then the commanders of the Philistines said, what are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the commanders of the Philistines, is this not David, the servant of Saul, the king of Israel, who has been with me these days, or rather these years, 16 months, and I found no fault in him from the day he deserted to, th to me this day. He says, oh yeah, the, the Philistines get ready to go to fight, and they look back and they say, 
What are, you, what are you doing with these Hebrews here, these Jews? We're fixing to go fight Jews. What are they doing here? Achish says, oh, oh they're, they're fine. They've been with me for a long time. That's David. He's a great warrior. He's been with me. He, in fact, he's been killing Jews. He's been with me for 16 months, and he's going to go fight with us. That's what he says. Look at verse 4. But the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him. And the commanders of the Philistines said to him, they're angry with Achish. says, oh, no, no, no. Make this man go back that he may return to his place where you have assigned him. Do not let him go down to battle with us, or in the battle he may become an adversary to us. For what could make this man himself acceptable to his Lord? Would it not be the heads of these men? He says, no, 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 you, he can't go with us. What right in the middle of the battle he decides to turn against us, start killing us, that would make him a friend of his own people. So we, no, we can't, we can't do that. And so they're saying if David could, what if in the battle David would turn against us and earn favor with his own people? So no, he, we, we, he can't go. He can't go with us. And then he goes on to say in verse 5, Is this not David of whom they sang in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. So you remember, David is a hero and he's famous everywhere. He's famous in Israel. He's famous in the Philistines. He's famous for killing Goliath. He's famous for all of these things. And so they look at him and say, Achish, you, we can't take these people. They might get right in the middle of a battle and turn against us. So no, no, they can't, they can't go. They cannot go. So look what happens. Verse 6, Achish called David and said to him, As the Lord lives, you have been upright, and you're going out and you're coming in with me in the army has been pleasing in my sight. For I've not found evil in you from the day of your coming to me to this day. Nevertheless, you are not pleasing in the sight of the Lord. Now, you know, Achish is either not very smart or he's just blinded because David has lied to him the whole time. David has killed different people, came back to Achish and said, Achish, I've been killing Jews. And Achish says, okay, that's good. He says, why, you've never done anything wrong to me. David's lied to him for about a year and a half. And, and as we said, David's not doing well. David's lying. And, and so he says, you can't go. And so they say in verse 7, now therefore return and go in peace that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. And so they say, go back. You cannot go to the battle. You can't go. Now, let me just say something. God is protecting David. God is protecting David. You see, in the sovereignty of God, that David was about to go into battle. And let me tell you, when David said back in verse 2 of chapter 28, you'll know what your servant can do, we don't even know what that means. Does that mean I'm going to fight for the Philistines? Does that mean I'm going to trick the Philistines and fight against them? Either way, David is in bad shape. Either way, David is either aligning with the Philistines. And let me tell you, what do you think the Jewish people would think? God is protecting David. And sometimes he does that in our lives, and we don't even know it. Sometimes we get a no on something, and we go, oh, I wanted that really badly. And you don't realize that God actually is protecting you. And somewhere down the line, you could say, whew, I'm glad I didn't get that. You just never know what God is doing. Let me remind you of something. What if, what if David... What if David had gone to the battle and fought against Israel? First of all, he'd never be the king because they would have never accepted him. They would have never accept him fighting for the, for the Philistines. And he would have had to probably kill Jewish people and they would have never accepted that and he would have been aiding the enemy. God is protecting David because David's going to be the next king. David, at age 30, will become the king of Israel. The man that we love, the one that's called a man after God's own heart. And, 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 but at this stage, something's wrong. 
And you know, when people get sin in their lives and they get conflicted and messed up, you could look at them and you say, something wrong with them. I mean, they're great people, but something's not right. And in our own lives, when we're going through life and we've been doing good, and all of a sudden we get into sin or we stop growing and we, and, and we look at our own lives and say, something's really wrong. You know, something's not right. It's because we're out of fellowship. I want you to see, look at verse 8. Look what David says. David said to Achish, but what have I done? And what have you found in your servant from the day that I came before you to this day that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my Lord, the king? Well, that's vague there too. Who are his enemies? And what is he really saying? And, and you know, he's saying, why can't I go fight? Well, let me ask you a question. Is, what is he doing? Is he lying? Is he just trying to fool Achish? Oh, no, no, I really want to go fight. Or is he confused? Is he confused? And who knows what's going on? And so later, the Achish says to David in verse 9, I know that you're pleasing in my sight like an angel of God. Nevertheless, the commanders of the Philistines have said, he shall not go up with us to the battle. Now, arise early in the morning with the servants of your Lord, your 600 men who have come with you. And as soon as you have arisen early in the morning and have light, depart. He's saying, David, you got to go back. And so, verse 11, so David rose early, he and his men, to depart in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines, and the Philistines went up to Jezreel. So David's still not doing the real right thing because his people are fixing to fight the Philistines, and David's still going to be living in the place of the Philistines. Let's think about David and his spiritual condition. He's, uh, what has he done for the last 16 months? He's lied. He's killed. He's, he's appeared to fight against Israel. I call him sort of the man without a country. He's out, out, of the, out of the land. He's been lying. He appears that he might even go a fight against Israel. And you know, that's what happens when people get sin in their lives. I want you to, to, to think about this. When, when we as believers, when we're, we trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, we go from being dead in trespasses and sins to being alive in Christ. We're children of God. We have eternal life. We've been placed in Christ. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. We're supposed to live righteously. We want to make a difference for Christ. And yet when we get sin in our lives, it's almost like we're in the middle uh, of nowhere. We're, we're, we can't really go. We, we live in like the world when we get sin in our life, but we're not part of the world. And we can't go over here and live like Christ because we're not living like Christ because we're not taking the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we're in the middle of, of this no man's land. And that's where David is right now. He can't go back. It's one sense he says, well, I can't go be with the Jews because they're fixing to fight up there. And I own the Philistines. They've run me off. And he's in the middle of nowhere. And that's what's happened in his life. I think he's out of fellowship with God and he's in the middle of nowhere. And when we do the same thing, we become the middle of nowhere. Because the truth is, we are supposed to be men and women who know Christ as Savior. We're supposed to be growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ. We're supposed to be living righteously and godly. We're supposed to be making a difference for Christ. And yet, when we sin, we get in this place right here. And the truth is, we can't be part of the world because we're not part of the world. He pulled us out of the world and placed us in Christ. But because we're out of fellowship, we're not able to serve him. You know, you think about this. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians. The Corinthian church, they were believers, but they were doing everything wrong you could name. And Paul writes them and says, you look like mere men, meaning you look like unbelievers. See, believers can look like unbelievers. When we get out of fellowship with God, we look like an unbeliever. We're not an unbeliever because we're not part of this world anymore. We're child, children of God, but we're also not over here. 
And I think that's where David is. And we got to be very careful. What should you do? The moment you realize that you've got sin in your life, the moment you realize you've moved from here to here and you're caught in between, so to speak, you should confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us. And so that's what we think about, and that's how it is. Believers living in sin, we're not of this world. We're a new creation in Christ, and we get caught there. We're out of fellowship with God. We can't enjoy. We're, we're living in two worlds, and that's what happens. And, and you can't be pleasing in either one of them, and you're not going to be pleasing in either one of them. And when David later, when he has this sin with Bathsheba, and he writes Psalm 51 and Psalm 32, he says this, Restore to me, Lord, the joy of your salvation. So when you're out of fellowship, you have no joy. And that's what's happened to David. And for a long time, he's been out of fellowship and he has no joy. And sometimes in our lives, we get out of fellowship and we have no joy. And let me tell you, when you have sin in your life, you're not part of the world because you never be, you've already been pulled out of it. But you can have sin and you can lose the joy of his salvation. Wow. Powerful. Well, let's see what happens. And you, you could say this. Um, could things get any worse? Yeah, yeah, they can. So let's see what happens. Chapter 30, look at verse 1. Uh, well, verse 11 again. So David rose up early that morning, departed, and returned to the land of the Philistines. So chapter 30, verse 1. Then it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day. It took them three days to get back there. That the Amalekites had made a raid on the Negev, that means the south, and on Ziklag, that's their city, and had overthrown Ziklag and burned it with fire. Now, it was about a 50 to 60 mile trip from where the Philistines had gathered together to fight against the Jews for him to get back to the city of Ziklag. And it took them three days. It said then it happened. They came back on the third day that they got there. And this group called the Amalekites. Now, they came from a man by the name of Amalek. And they were descendants of this man, the Amalekites. They were very evil people. Uh, in fact, they, uh, when, when the Jewish people were trying to come into the promised land, they waited to the back and they took all the older people and the people who couldn't move fast and they went and killed them. They were evil people. Saul's job was to eliminate the Amalekites and he didn't do it. So they're still here. And what did they do? While David is gone, he and his 600 men to go fight in their camp with all these men's wives, children, everything, the Amalekites attack. And look what it said. It happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had made a raid on the Negev and on Ziklag and had overthrown Ziklag and burned it with fire. They set the city afire. Now, let me tell you some good news. They found no dead bodies. They didn't kill the people. They took them all as hostages. Look at this. And they took captive, verse 2, they took captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great, without killing anyone, and carried them off and went their way. So they attacked Ziklag, that's David's city, and they carried everybody off. They didn't kill anybody. And that's one good, we'd say, that's good news, at least they're all alive. But they burned everything up. And so verse 3 says, when David and his men came to the city, behold, it was burned with fire. And their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Now, you can just imagine how they feel. First of all, they just made about a 50-mile trip. They're dead. It's taken them three days to get back there. They're discouraged. They don't know what to do. David's in the middle of nothing. He doesn't know what to do. He can't be with the Israelites. He can't be with the Philistines. His 600 men are all tired and worn out. They get back, and the city is burned up, and their family is gone. Gone. Verse 4, Then David and his people who were with him, the 600 men, lifted their voices 
and wept until there was no strength in them to weep. They lifted up their voice. Can you imagine these men, these fighters, these soldiers, these valiant men crying and weeping? And it goes on to say, now David's two wives have been taken captive. Ahinam, the Jezreelite, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. You remember Abigail? She was that really wise woman that kept David from killing all those people. They're all crying. They've lifted up their voices, and they're weeping. And David has lost his family. He's lost his fellowship. And things seems to get worse and worse. We could stop right here and say, David, look at your life. You've been out of fellowship for a year. You're with the Philistines. You're acting like one of them. You're killing people. You're lying. You've come back here and, and, and all your family's now gone and you've lost everything. And look at verse 6. I'm not going to read the whole verse yet, but look at verse 6. Moreover, David was greatly distressed. Why? Because the people spoke of stoning him. All the people were embittered, each one of his, because of, of their sons and their daughters. David's men, the mighty men, the people that loved David, they were talking about killing David. You can see them all get back. They're worn completely out. They're really discouraged. David is discouraged. Everybody's upset. Everything is gone. And they look over and they say, you know, David, this is your fault. If we hadn't decided to go fight with the Philistines, we'd have been here when the Amalekites came. And look what's happened. You know, David, maybe David ought to die. Maybe David ought to die. Maybe we ought to stone David. That's what they're saying. What if you're David? You're saying, my gracious, can it get any worse? You know, when you're a leader, they get the blame. When David does something great, he gets the, 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 everybody goes, David's great. When something goes wrong, everybody says, David's bad. That's what happens in leadership. I want you to think about David's life. He has no home. He's depressed. He's tired. His men are in rebellion. He has sin in his life. His family is gone. He has no country, and he's blamed for everything. What do you do when everything goes wrong? What do you do when you say, well, that didn't work out, and why are they against me, and why did this happen, and how come I didn't get that, and how come this is going on? What do we do? What's our response? Do you remember when Saul couldn't get an answer, and everything was going wrong, and the Philistines are lining up to attack? Where did Saul go? Went to a witch. When everything's gone wrong, and even David's mighty men are saying, maybe David ought to die. Where does David go? When Saul got in trouble, he goes to a witch. When David gets in trouble, he goes to God. And that's what we have to do. There are going to be times when you can't think of any place else you can go. You say, I don't know what to do. Notice this verse, verse 6 again. Moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him, for all the people were embittered, each one because of his sons and daughters. But, there's the key, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. That's what he did. He turned to the Lord. And that's what we have to do. There's the place we go. That's where we should go the first time. We should turn to God and say, Lord, I need you. I don't know what to do. I, I'm, at, I'm at the end. I don't know what to do. Things are not working out. 
What do you want me to do? I want to show you something. This is Psalm 18. David wrote this psalm. If we don't think he wrote it at this particular time. Some of the psalms actually tell us when David wrote them. But this is Psalm 18. I want you to see what he says. He says, I love you, Lord, my strength. You're my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my Savior. Who is the Lord? He's our rock. He's our fortress. He's our Savior. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge. When the trials come, when the problems come, when the issues come, who do we go to? We go to the rock. He says, you are my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. When you see horn of my salvation, don't think of a horn like somebody playing a trumpet or something. The word horn comes back from the horn of an animal, which is their strength. He's actually saying, you are my shield and the strength of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. That's what David did. When it began to pile in on him, that's what David did. What do we do when it piles in on us, when we don't know what to do? The Bible tells us, be anxious for nothing but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, Philippians 4, 6. The Bible tells us when we recognize we sin and we're out of fellowship and we got problems that way, he says, confess your sin. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, what's going to happen? David strengthened himself in the Lord. So what does he do? Look at verse 7. We'll go fast, these last verses. David said to Abathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, please bring me the ephod. So Abathar brought the ephod to David. Now, by the way, a priest had this little kind of a coat that they wore that had some different things on it, and there were some pockets in it. And there was a thing called the Urim and the Thummim. We've talked about them before. Nobody knows exactly what they were. But some people think they were maybe two little rocks or something. We don't know. But it was some way that God communicated with his people. And so by using the Urim and the Thummim, they could somehow tell things. So David calls for the priest and says, bring the ephod. That's where it is. David inquired of the Lord, verse 8, saying, shall I pursue this band? Shall I overtake them? And he said to him, pursue, for you will surely overtake them, and you will surely rescue them. He says, shall I go after my enemy? And the answer is go. Now listen, it's not that these Urim and Thummim wasn't something like they threw it out and say, is this yes or no? No, because the answer wasn't yes or no. The answer was go, do this, and you will overcome. And something that I want you to notice at the end of verse 8, he says, pursue, for you will surely overtake them, and you will surely rescue all. That is good news. David's family, all of those 600 men, they've lost all their families. God says to them, go get them. Because your family, you'll rescue everybody in your family. Wow, that is so fantastic. Go after them. And by the way, God's word is always true, right? Right? When the Bible says, I give you eternal life and you shall never perish. Do you have eternal life and you will never perish? Yes. When the word of God says something, you can depend on it. It is always true. It is always accurate. So look what happens. So David, he and his 600 men who were with him came down to the brook Bezor, where where those left behind remained. But David pursued he and 400 men, for 200 men were too exhausted to cross the brook resort, and they remained behind. David's got 600 men. They've already gone about 50 miles, and they get ready to go fight again. And when they get to the brook, 200 of them finally just say, we can't go any further. We just can't fight. 
we can't do it. And David says, okay, just stay there. That's okay, stay by the baggage and everything. And the rest of us will go fight. So he's got 400 men and he's going after the Amalekites. And that's what he's going to do. And what, what is he going to do? Look at verse 11. They found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David and gave him bread and he ate and they provided him with water to drink. And they gave him a piece of fig uh, cake and two clusters of raisins and he ate. And then his spirit revived for he had been not eaten uh, bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. Now let me tell you what happened. God is taking care of David. They're trying to find the Amalekites to get their families back. And out in the middle of nowhere, they find this Egyptian who's been a slave. Now here's what we know happened. This Egyptian had been a slave of one of the Amalekites, and as the Amalekites had already got all the stuff, and they're heading to their camp, he gets sick. And they say to him, we don't care anything about you, just die. And they left him. They just left him out in the middle of nowhere to die. And David and his men found him. And they gave him food and they gave him something to eat. And then they say to him, who are you? And David said in, in verse 13, it says, David said to him, to whom do you belong and where are you from? And he said, I'm a young man of Egypt, a servant of Amalekite, and my master left me behind when I fell sick three days ago. He said, we were going, I got sick, I couldn't go any further, and they just left me. They left me to die. And David said, well, it's a good thing we found you, isn't it? Yeah. And he said, what did y'all do? And they told him in verse 14, he said, we made a raid on the Negev of the Cherethites and on which belonged to Judah and on the Negev of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. He was there when the Amalekites burned the city, this guy that they found. And so what are they going to do? So then David said to him in verse 15, will you bring me down to this band? Will you take me where they are? He said, listen, will you tell us where they are? Now look, they didn't help you. They? they left you to die. We're here to help you. Will you tell us where they are so we can go get them? So look what he says. David said to him, will you bring us down to this band? And he said, swear to me by God that you will not kill me or deliver me into the hands of my master and I will bring you down to this band. So what he says is this, will you? And he says, uh, uh, God allowed this man to live. And so what does he say to him? He says, if you, if you won't kill me, I'll tell you. And if you won't turn me over to my master, I'll tell you where they are. And so David says, okay, tell us where they are. What's going to happen? Well, we're going to stop there. And so next time, we'll see what happens. And so the Philistines are going to battle. David was supposed to go. They said, no, you can't go. David comes back to his home, and it's all burned to pieces. The Malachites have done it. So David and his men all are upset. They want to kill David. David turns to the Lord, and they say, go get them. And they're on the way to get them. And as they get there, they find an Egyptian slave, and he's going to show them where the camp is. And we'll see that next time. Let me give you some applications, okay? First one is this. Let's trust God in the times of trouble and problems. Listen, that's it. He's our strength. He's our shield. We must turn to him. In fact, as Philippians says, I can do all things through the one who strengthens me. We cannot make it. We must never be afraid to trust an unknown future to an all-knowing God. He knows everything. We have to trust him. It's better to be in the storm with Christ than in the calm without him. Charles Wesley wrote a lot of songs. He was a, a pastor years ago. He wrote a song, and it's great words. It's called Soldiers. Listen to this. Soldiers of Christ, arise and put your armor on. Strong in his strength, which God supplies through his eternal son. Stand strong in the Lord of hosts and in his mighty power, who in the strength of Jesus Christ is more than a conqueror. Listen, it's God's strength through us. It's not us. And whenever things go wrong, 
We don't say, I don't know what to do. We say, Lord, I'm turning to you. I need you. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own, to, you know, on, on lean inklings. You just have to trust him. He'll direct your paths. He is sovereign and he is in control and we can trust him. Think of all the things that have happened here. He didn't let David. He fixed it where David couldn't go fight. He left this slave out in the middle of nowhere so that David can find out where the Amalekites are. The second application I want you to think about is let's deal with sin in our lives. I mean, it's true. We, we all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. And, and just remember this. When we sin, we're caught in two worlds. We, we, are, we, we are supposed to be living for the glory of God. What? Do you not know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit is in you? You're not your own. Therefore, glorify God in your body. We're supposed to live for him. And yet, when we get sin in our lives, we're out of fellowship with God. And we can't go live like the world. Now, we can look like the world, but we can't because we don't belong there anymore. We've been placed in Christ, and so we're in that limbo thing and basically saying we look like an unbeliever, but we're really a believer. What should we do? We need to deal with sin in our lives. We need to confess our sin. I, I read this. I thought it was pretty neat. How do we look at sin? Well, a man calls it an accident, but God calls it an abomination. Man calls it a blunder. God calls it blindness. Man calls it a defect. God calls it a disease. Man calls it a chance, and God calls it a choice. Man says it's just an error, and God says, no, it's enmity. Man calls it, it's just a fascination. The guy says, no, it's a fatality. Deal with sin. Confess it and forsake it. And this is what David has done now. He's turned back to God. And you're going to see a miraculous difference from the rest of the way. Because David has now strengthened himself in the Lord. And he's going to go back. He's going to get those Amalekites. Go ahead and read ahead. Say, who wins? You know, what did God already tell him? You're going to go and you're going to deliver every person and that's what's going to happen. We trust God in the trials and problems of life. Deal with sin.